This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 9. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021, as of the recording of this show. And I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today I'm joined by our producer and control master chief dude, keeping tabs on everything Concealed Carry podcast related, Matthew Marister. Yeah, you can blame me for when things go wrong. Just blame me, guys. (laughs) I'm the guy. Matthew is the man uh, making sure that, you know, we, we keep our episode numbers straight. (laughs) <laughs> uh, making sure that we have our podcast outlines to follow and uh, tracking which sponsors we need to include in which episodes. He's he's the man. Which is harder than you would think. I, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just my, my level of expertise, but it's, it's very difficult to manage this stuff. I'm not a good juggler, but we'll get through it. <laughs> Well, folks, we welcome you to the to another fine episode. Uh, today is a discussion on throttle control, which was recently featured as our most recent Shooter Ready Challenge. Uh, you can find it at ShooterReadyChallenge.com, by the way. Uh, we've got quite a history now of, and what those are is a collection of dry fire training videos uh, that you can watch, view, learn from and follow along in your own dry fire practice, which was part of the reason for creating that. And our first sponsor of today's episode has been a sponsor, has been on board with that since the very beginning, which is Laser or L-A-S-R, also known as Laser Activated Shot Reporter uh, Software from laserapp.com. That is L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. Uh, and so in pretty much all of these Shooter Ready Challenge videos, we feature their laser, primarily their Laser X version of their software, which is my favorite version of their software. They still have Laser Classic, but they have Laser X as well, which is the one that works with virtually any internet connected device with a web browser, which is why it's so, so awesome. Because I, that means I don't, you know, I, if I got my phone on me, like you see here, then I can run Laser X on it. If I have my iPad, I can run Laser X on it. If I have my MacBook, Mac computer, PC, whatever it is, you can run Laser X, which is the finest software out there for dry fire use, in my in my opinion. Uh, as far as being able to see a target on a screen and track hits on that target virtually and keep track of precisely the time data that's associated with those hits. I've been a user of the laser software for more than half a decade now, which is kind of crazy and hard to believe. Uh, And it has come through many, many improvements and iterations to be I think, like I said, the, the finest software out there. So guys, check out laserapp.com, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. And you can do a one-month trial if you'd like. Uh, you can sign up for a, a lifetime license, which I highly recommend. You can also get a free month. I think we still include a free month's trial uh, gift card in every purchase of the Ready Up Gear Laser Dot Trainer. Uh, dry fire cartridges so you can always uh, check those out at readyupgear.com or at concealedcarry.com and purchase a laser dot trainer and get a free month even so there's a lot of great ways to get started with laser x anyway we appreciate your support of our sponsors of shooter ready challenge and of the concealed carry podcast today's other episode sponsor has also been a supporter of laser of the red of the shooter ready challenge since I think the beginning as well, or close to the beginning. I think I think they've been on board since the beginning. It's hard for me to remember. It's easier to remember Laser because Laser app because we've been using their software since the beginning. Uh, but the next sponsor is Next Level Training. Nextleveltraining.com is their site. Makers of the fine 
cert pistols. Here's my P320 model, which is my fave. Comes with a removable weighted magazine for good reload practice. You can also buy additional magazines if you'd like. Uh, but this is virtually identical in shape and form to my actual live P320s. And so, you know, which is what, you know, longtime listeners now, you know, I've been running the 320s for, for a while now. And so I love having a cert pistol that goes along with that. That said, some of you may carry or use guns that that next level train doesn't make a model for or make a model that's close to your actual gun and i will just say for a long time i used the standard model 110 which is their glock model and i used the base model the cheap the cheapest one you know the, the plastic slide and red laser only uh which i still have that same model it's not sitting it's often on my desk it's not here today uh but uh I used that even when I wasn't carrying or shooting or using Glocks for a long time, and I still got benefit out of it. So, guys, check out Next Level Training, uh, nextleveltraining.com, and the fabulous CERT training pistols. They're great for a variety of contexts. They're great to use as an instructor, just to use as a demo gun. They're great to use in dry fire practice with software like LaserX, when, especially when you need multiple shot strings and you want to record all of those. So that's, and that's what we're talking about today, actually, with our topic of throttle control in the most recent Shooter Aid Challenge episode uh, featuring that, that topic. It, it is something that, unfortunately, if you don't have something like a cert pistol or at least a double action pistol with a laser dot trainer in it, um, it's going to be a little bit more challenging for you to participate in. And I apologize for that, but it's one, I mean we got to feature some of that stuff sometimes because it's one of the great reasons to use some of those software and some of those training aids. Uh, so, and, and this is one of the best ways to train throttle control. And that's what we're going to talk about right now is what is that? What isn't it? And how can we practice it in dry fire practice? Which again was what I covered in shooter rate challenge. But anyway, thank you for our sponsors, laser app and next level training next level training.com so let's get into throttle control matthew yeah let's do how it. how would you define throttle control hmm. um well you're taking basically the concept is we're taking how quickly you can um engage a target how, how quickly can you shoot a target at different distances or different size sizes right like if you have a large target typically what happens is people will shoot the same cadence or the same um, split times on a target at three yards that they will at 15 yards. And it makes it very difficult because they're trying to use either the same sight picture, the same, um, the, the, the same um, method of shooting, right. And in a large target, which um, allows you to shoot quicker as opposed to a smaller target or something that's further away um, where you have to have more refined sight picture, um, more refinement in, in, in the fundamentals, right? So um, it's, I guess the throttle control is understanding when and how much, um, you know, in, in your own skills where you can successfully uh, move from between different size targets, I guess. In a, yeah. In a long roundabout kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- to explain it in another way, I would say that throttle control is giving each and every target just enough sight picture respect and not too much. Like that's that's the perfect level of throttle control is we want to give every target just what it needs to get the the hits that we desire on those targets, not more, not less, because less means that our hits will be less, less acceptable, right? If we don't, and it all comes down to what we see and what we've processed visually. Uh, it, it, as far as the way I see it, Matthew, uh, because people will either shoot without seeing the required sight picture or the required amount of sight refinement, if you will. So they're either not seeing that, and that could be because they're not patient enough, which a lot of times I think is because people will shoot at a cadence uh, 
as opposed to what they are seeing. So they'll shoot at the speed that they think they're supposed to be shooting at. Uh, or it could be that they are not capable of holding the gun. Let's see, how do I word this? It could be that we are not seeing what we need to see at all. We're just basically shooting blindly uh, in effect. Or we are, we're seeing that information, okay? But that, that, there you go. That's the distinction I was looking for. We're, we're seeing the, that the fact that our sights are not aligned the way they need to be on the target to get the desired hit. But for whatever reason, whether it's an emotional or a mental component, we are not allowing ourselves to give it the required respect and the amount of time needed to get things aligned. Okay. So that, that's two different problems, right? Mm-hmm. That is, in one case, we are simply kind of ignoring our sights and, and shooting faster than we probably should uh, because we, for whatever reason, we, we've we just determined that that's the speed we're going to shoot the target at. Or in the other case, it's we see it, but we're um, not able to be disciplined enough to get the trigger finger working together with what we're visually processing, if that makes sense. And again, too little means we're not going to get the hits we desire too much mm-hmm. means that we're taking more time than is necessary to get the desired hits. And so that's why to me, throttle controls all it's, it's twofold. It's making sure we give targets enough sight picture respect, but not too much. Cause in one case we miss the target in the other case, we take more time than is needed and we're less efficient. Right. Um, and, it, and it's important in a self-defense context, right? Like it, there, if I, I, I notice this with newer shooters that are very, um, uh, I guess like outcome focus, right? Like they, they want to have a tight group no matter where they shoot from. And so in a self-defense context, you put them at three yards and you ask them to shoot, you know, an eight inch circle and all the shots are touching and that's great. But you know, it took them seven seconds to do it. And you're like, let's now that's great fundamental work and, and everything. Let's, let's apply self-defense context to it and see why we might need to shoot a little bit quicker when, when, when we have the ability to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So, so the mark of a less experienced shooter and this is very common is like, let's let me give a theoretical drill, so to speak. So let's say you have a target at five yards and five yards is relatively close. Right. And then let's say we have a target at um, 15 yards and a target at 25 yards. That, that makes sense. That, that's nice kind of round numbers, meaning that for each target, we're increasing the distance by 10 yards. Uh, so so l- let's just say that we, tell, you know, maybe we're in the role of an instructor and we're telling a student to do this, or maybe we're just doing it ourselves. But let's just say that the, the drill is draw and fire two rounds on each of these three targets. Again, one at five yards, one at 10 yards, one or 15 yards, one at 25 yards. It's kind of like an accelerated, an accelerator drill that is, uh, uh, some, some people may be familiar with that. Uh, Ben Stager, uh, that's a, that's a drill that he uses or that he, uh, refers to is the accelerator drill. There's also a uh, USPSA classifier that is basically that. I think it's even called accelerator. But anyway, so the the if we take take an experienced shooter that's well disciplined and a non-experienced shooter, and we have them shoot those three targets, the experienced shooter shooting those will sound like this. Six shots, right? Going from close to far target, right? So five yards, did it? Fifteen yards, did it? Twenty-five yards, did it? Right. So that there's going to be a difference in the cadence between those three targets because, hey, five yards relatively easy. Twenty-five yards not easy at all for a lot of shooters. So there's going to be a difference in the time it takes to fire each of those shots at 25 compared to shooting those shots at five. 
<clears throat> Meanwhile, you take a less experienced shooter, and a lot of times it'll sound like this. Did it? Did it? Did it? And maybe when they start becoming a little more nuanced, a little bit more experienced, we'll still maybe see something kind of like this. Did it? Did it? Did it? Like, cause they'll like, this is what I, what I've noticed about shooters. And I noticed this about myself as I progressed that they're, they're kind of, it's sort of like a crawl, walk, run sort of thing where like, at one point you kind of just shoot everything the same way because you're not skilled enough to know any differently. And then you start realizing, wait, that 25 yard target, that that's a long ways out there. I need to take my time on that one. But you still treat like five and 10 and 15 yard targets pretty much all the same because you're just not quite as discerning yet. And then eventually you get to where you're like, oh, wow, like 15 yards is also harder than I thought, um, you know, and that kind of thing. So, so that's kind of what, I mean, you, you tell me whether you agree or disagree, but that's kind of what I've uh, what I've witnessed. Yeah, it's and it's either that way, or um, there it, it, it it's yeah it 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 could be. And sometimes I hear like a shooter, I'll have targets at different distances, and I just hear like ding, 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 ding. Like there's there's a long pause in between each shot. And there's no difference between if you're shooting a 25 yard or a, or a three yard target or five yard, you know, like it could, it can be the other way as well, where people are so hyper-focused on their sites that they're scared to squeeze the trigger because they're, you know, every time they start to apply pressure to the trigger, you know, it's moving the site. So they, you know, and so it doesn't matter whether at three yards where you can move the gun, you know, several inches and probably still get a hit. Um mm-hmm. And, and so there's just no distinct, there's no nuance or distinct distinction between what they're, what the sites are telling them. It's more of just a, okay, I put the sites on there and I squeeze the trigger and there's no, you know, um, there's no, um, input from what I'm, what am I seeing as far as my sites? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so here's a question. Um, what what determines like for us as shooters matthew as we are working at getting better what is the determining factor that as far as like what regulates the speed we shoot a target at let's use the five yard and the 25 yard targets as an example so I'm shooting five yards. That's one thing. I'm shooting 25 yards. That's another thing. What regulates the actual speed that I shoot each of those targets at? Yeah, I, I would say it's if you're if you have an acceptable sight picture. So acceptable sight picture might mean different things in different contexts, right? Like an acceptable sight picture might be a, a very, very precise, even at five yards, because you have to shoot, you know, a, a smaller target. It's very, you have a limited view on a target. So it's not just necessarily distance, but it's like, what are my sights telling me? And when I have you know, if, if we're going through the process of getting that trigger prepped and everything, then as soon as my sights are telling me, hey, I'm good, uh, I squeeze the trigger and it might be different. It, it's also different at different distances because, you know, my sight picture at three yards um, may be, well, it will be much different than at 25 yards because I may not even have a sight picture. I may be using a more intuitive or instinctive um, you know, um, natural point of aim method of, of using the gun. So, uh, or aiming the gun. So, um, I think it's a combination of like, um, when you're using your sights to understand, like, what do I need? How accurate do I need to be? And are my sights telling me, yes, this is acceptable. Um, I don't know if that answers it completely, but yeah. Um, yes. The, I think the simple answer here is is that, and, and this is kind of what you're saying, but but uh, I'm going to just say it more simply. 
And that is Mm -hmm. what we see in the sight picture dictates the speed. Simple as that. And we've got to have the discipline to only send a shot when we have the requisite sight picture to get the desired hit. Um, Easier said than done. Easier said than done. Uh, you mentioned, you referenced intuitive or instinctive or something like aiming methods, which, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know, like I, that starts getting in a realm that is not my, uh, preferred way of thinking of things, but <laughs> well, it, it, because people use different terminology, they use point shooting, instinctive shoot, you know, so it means different things to different well, people. So maybe. Let's talk about that. Like, yeah. that's it's really important. I think that we are on the same page in terms of the terminology we use and what that terminology means. And the more simply we can describe processes, because and like everything shooting is a process of some kind, right? Like it, there's a process to achieving a hit on target, right? Um, all the way from gripping the gun to aiming the gun, holding the gun, positioning the gun, whatever, uh, sighting it in on target, pressing the trigger, all that. Like It's a process, right? We can make it a very simple process, like in the words of the great one, Rob Latham, grip the gun really tightly, aim it at the target, and press the trigger without moving it. Like that's the most, that's the simplest way to describe the the process. You can get deeper and way more nuanced than that, but it's still really important at the end of the day, we, we use words that describe the process accurately and simply. And so by that, I mean, like you start using words like intuitive. I'm not trying to pick on you at all. No, so, no, no. Uh, like this is just, but, but you're right. Like you you said some things that other, we've heard other people, other shooters, other instructors say, and I, yeah, so you, you used the words intuitive and instinctive. You said point shooting. What are those things exactly? Now, it is important, I think, we des- we describe or define what point shooting is. And I describe point shooting as, now, whether someone else will agree and define it the same way or not, that could be up for the debate. But I think this is a, I personally believe this is a very, accurate way of describing point shooting point shooting is anytime you shoot the gun without some sort of visual aiming reference mm-hmm. now, why do i word the definition that way okay because a lot of people refer to point shooting and in their minds it is but it's not really. Let me give an example. If you are, let's say a three-yard target, very, very, very close. Let's say a three-yard USPSA A zone. All right. If you are pointing your gun at that three-yard target and peripherally you see your gun also pointing that direction at three yards, that's still a visual aiming reference. Mm -hmm. You are relying a little bit on kinesthetic alignment, I guess, if you want to call it that, because you're looking at something and you're simply extending your arms out at it and, and you're close enough that that works. But there's also almost always a visual component, a visual aiming reference, whether you realize it or not, subconsciously you are aware that, where 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 the positioning of your hands are in the lower port. You know, I'm talking like an example where you're literally like looking over top of the gun. It's better, I think, if you actually look through the gun, like through the sights. You're you're maybe ignoring the sights. That's fine. I often refer to as a backplate form of you know. The, some people call it a backplate aiming, or uh, you using the silhouette of the gun, or you know that kind of thing. Okay. And that's what I that's what I do, and I absolutely preach and teach that that at three yards I don't have to see my sights. I don't have to see that they're perfectly aligned. I don't have to even see the 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 red dot of my optic. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. at three yards. Now it's nice if it happens to be there and it usually is, but because if we're using proper grip mechanics and we're at a distance that is barely outside of what you can reach and touch with your own hand, if I just, if with proper grip mechanics, the gun is already aligned generally well enough. And then I'm just simply seeing the outline or silhouette or shape of the gun over top of the target area. And at that distance, that target's big enough that the gun is enveloped by the target. Like literally the, the silhouette of the gun is within the A zone. I don't need to see anything else, but that's still an example of visual aiming mm-hmm. of some kind of reference to that. So, so I, I, that's why I wanted to touch on that because that's an important distinction. When you start talking about different ways of aiming, like, let's talk about what it really is. Okay. And some people think that they just look at an object and they point the gun there and they shoot at it and that that's point shooting. Well, it may be. Um, but if you are relying in any sort of way on visual information as well, then it is still a form of visually aiming the gun as well. Okay. So point shooting in my book is literally when there is no visual aiming reference, because then it's purely, you are pointing, you are looking at something and extending the object and kinesthetically. So in other words, through tactile feedback from the, the gun to your hand, to your arm, to your shoulder, all of that says, this is where this thing is oriented and I'm going to shoot. That's point shooting. Purely, purely, purely point shooting. And that does exist. And some people would say that there's a place for it. And I would say, "Mm, there doesn't have to be a place for it because you can always, I believe, uh, with, with the exceptions would be situations where we can't extend the gun, situations where we're in odd, awkward weird positions, okay, reaching around objects, for instance, very, very, very non-conventional ways of shooting, okay, but almost all other contexts, you can always perform better and there's enough time for you to actually aim your gun, whatever that aiming, the amount of refinement of that aiming is, there's always time. Why do I believe that? Well, you shouldn't ever have to shoot faster. Certainly, you should never have to fa- shoot faster than 15 splits on a target because that's ridiculously fast, faster than you can make decisions. I could see somebody doing it against a very, very active, violent threat that's like six feet away. But I'll tell you this much. I can draw, extend my gun, and visually see the silhouette of my gun on top of my target at six feet, nine feet, 15 feet, and lays that target down with a very, very, very gross sight picture. There's time to do that. And I will get it. I will get very acceptable hits. Conversely, the person that totally blanks out visually any, any sort of reference to the gun and just extends and fires. Yeah, they'll get some hits, but they're going to, their time will be about the same as my time, but my hits will all be aimed to some extent. Okay. All right. Sorry. Kind of getting like, you got me fired up because you said it instinctive <laughs> and stuff, and it's like, oh. No, what I was trying oh. to explain is there's a there's a wide variety from <laughs> from like in, in using the gun at extreme close quarters where you can't possibly use the sights, and there is some sort of alignment or um, aiming methodology that's being used, whether it's an instinctive like the way that you index the gun or way that you have you know you are orienting the gun at a position where you can't extend the gun. You can't see the gun. Um, and you're in a fight, um, something like that compare. And, and it goes all the way to the threshold of, I need to make my sights like crystal clear. And we have to have understand the difference between all of those and how we, wh- when they're acceptable and when we should use any of those different types mm-hmm. of methodologies. That yeah. was kind of, now, what what we can see and get away with is going to vary from person to person in their own respective skill, mm-hmm. right? Because if you are, if your ability to use proper grip technique 
and your ability to actually grip the gun in a consistent manner is not good, then you're not going to get very good results with a backplate aiming technique at five yards. Like I'm going to get at five yards. You might only be able to get away with it at two or three yards. Okay. So, so just recognize that there's going to be a difference and everyone should know what their own limitations are. And you're going to learn what those limitations are through experimentation because experimentation is a form of learning. You experiment, you see what you can and cannot do. And you go, Oh wow, here's my limits. And I cannot point the gun at a target at five yards and just use the silhouette of the gun to use as an aiming reference and keep all my hits in an A zone like Riley can. Okay. That's okay. I mean, we can certainly work on your grip and consistency of grip and indexing of the gun and all of that. Okay. That's going to be a huge, huge, huge component to being able to get away with less and do more. Um, now, as we begin to extend that range and we, we move back, so from five yards to 10 yards to 15 yards, to 20 yards, to 25 yards, and so on, the level of refinement of our aiming begins to or has to begin to change. So um, I will say that from basically three to five yards and sometimes seven yards, I am, and I'm running a red dot you know, pistol these days. I am really just centering the optic window over top of the target. Nine times out of 10, probably more like 98 times out of 100, maybe not that, I don't know, maybe 95 out of 100, something like that. The dot's going to be there anyway, but I'm not necessarily going to wait for it. I'm going to draw and I'm going to point the gun at the target because I've done it a gazillion times now. And my index is consistent enough on the pistol the grip is consistent enough on the pistol that i'm not waiting to see whether there's a dot or there or not i don't have to because but what i am using the aim is i'm i'm taking the circular window of my optic and it's like it, it's as if it's a big old peep sight and i'm just i'm looking at the center of the a zone of the target and boom, I put that big old circle of my optic over top of where I'm looking and bam, I'm sending shots. And again, most often than not, more, more often than not, my, my dot is also there, which is just a confirmation. I don't need it to get the hits I desire, but it's a confirmation when it's there and I see and I recognize that it's there and I go, oh, sweet, perfect. Okay. Now you start getting beyond and it's right around seven yards and beyond that, that I start making sure that I see a dot. Okay. Uh, or some kind of, or, or in the case of iron sights. So, so another example, uh, iron sights, uh, zero to seven yards, very similar thing. The grip is consistent enough that as soon as I see the outline of my pistol over top of the intended hit area, boom, sending the shot. More, more often than not, my front sight also happens to be somewhere in or near the rear notch of the rear sight. Great, fine. If it is, that's just a confirmation. Similar to if the dot's in my window, great. It's just a confirmation. But when I see that the gun is over top of my intended hit, hit area, I'm, I'm sending the shot. Um, now beyond seven yards. So let's say from seven to 15 yards would be about what I would refer to. And, and, and by the way, in our shooting fundamentals course that you can check out at concealedcarry.com, um, I, I, I present a red, yellow, and red, or red, yellow, green stoplight analogy. Uh, it's, it's intended as a, a means or a method whereby you can rate difficulty of targets or size of targets or distance of targets and apply the appropriate amount of sight refinement to those. So green light is literally a, it's this gross, sorry, Jacob, for saying literally, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's using this gross sight picture, which is a backplate or an optic window or something. That's a green light sight picture. Okay. Because it means as soon as I see any reference that the gun is where I think it needs to be, I'm sending the shot. A yellow means caution. Well, what is that exactly? Well, it means that I need to start letting things settle down a little bit. Okay. 
So in the case of if, when we're shooting up close, especially once I start ripping off shots, I'm just going to see streak, 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 streak of that red dot bouncing all over the place. In the case of my iron sights, I'm going to see that front sight going boom, 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 up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Okay. But we start getting out to that like 12 and especially 15 yard distance. Uh, I need to start letting things settle a little bit. In the case of a red dot, I need to actually see that the dot is a dot. If it's a streak at 15, 18, 20 yards, then I can't be precise enough. Okay. Cause it's all over the place. But if, but once I start seeing a dot, then I can recognize where it is on the target and I'm going to let it settle in the acceptable target zone and then setting the shot. In the case of iron sights, I got to let that front sight settle in the rear sight. It may not have to be perfectly aligned, okay, but it's going to need to at least be in there, in that rear notch, and it's got to settle somewhat. Okay, that's a yellow sight picture, yellow light, all right? We go beyond that. So now we're at that 20 and 25 and 30-yard distances or beyond. We have to let things get basically still because we, we got to get front sight centered in rear sight. In the case of my red dot at 25 yards, I got to... Like it takes a little bit of effort to hold that red dot within the A zone of a USPSA target. So you got to get it to be still. So hence red, red light means stop. So I got to stop my sights. Does that make sense? So this is basically the progression. Green light. Hey, as long as we have a, a gross sight picture of some kind, for most of us, that's going to that's gonna work and that's going to be acceptable. For a yellow, we got to slow things down. We got to let things settle slightly. Okay. Red means we got to stop it. We got to get that sight picture stopped. If, if it's moving around, we're probably going to struggle to get the hits we desire. So that's the, the analogy that I use. And I, I, I will look at targets and be like, that's a green, that's a red, that's a yellow. And it just helps me to remember that. The, it, like it, it paints a picture in my brain and this, and this is why I came up with this because it works exceptionally well for me is it paints a picture in my brain of what like I already visualize in my in my mind what I need to see in my sight picture oh that's a target where I need to let it settle just enough that I can you know call a, a good shot oh that's a tar that's a red that means I'm going to have to see that red dot or my front sight and the rear notch whatever stop and be perfectly aligned before I send the shot. And it's also a, an example, or it's a, it's a way that uh, reinforces the process versus an outcome or a result. Uh, and it's a visually focused process. It's based around what I see. And that is something that, that, that's what we, that's really the big, big, big thing where it comes to throttle control is it's all got to be controlled with the eyes what we're visually taking in information-wise. That's yeah. what determines whether, you know, whether we send the shot yet or not. And the fact that it takes a little bit longer for my sights to settle or it takes even a bit longer for my sights to be totally still, that is where you're going to create the difference in split times based on those dif more difficult shots. Not because you're deciding to shoot them slower, but because that's what it actually physically takes for things to slow down enough so that you see the acceptable sight picture before you send the shot. So it's a visual, re visual process, re visual. Yes. A visual, a visual related process that determines the speed at which you shoot. Sorry, I got on. No, to I mean, I went on for a while there. That That's a hundred. I mean, like, and I think we've mentioned this in several uh, podcasts about like, the importance, how, how important or how much, um, of the process of shooting is visual and, and it, it really does drive a lot of how we shoot. Right. And, um, while you're talking about the, the, the importance of like seeing what you see and letting that drive how you shoot, um, one thing I find incredibly important uh, or useful for new shooters for me, um, is a drill that we do in the um the guardian courses is the um the site forgiveness drill 
I think that's mm-hmm. a fantastic drill um, for, for, for people to do. And, and I'll just explain it to you and maybe it'll make more sense. Um, basically what you're doing is at diff- you, you can do it at different yard lines and in, in to, to really drive the point home and kind of impregnate in your brain an image of what we're talking about. But you shoot around um, at a specific point and then you aim at that point. And this is all through slow fire. You, you, you purposely drift your sight, you know, your front sight uh, to the edge, almost outside of your uh, sight, right? Your rear sight mm-hmm. notch, if you're shooting iron. So you go all the way to the left, right, up and down. And then you look at the spread at that distance. And then, you know, for a lot of people, when they do that, it's like their their mind is like, oh my goodness, like I don't need to have a precise sight picture at five yards. Like I don't, like I, I didn't realize that as long as my front sight, I see it somewhere within the notch and it's in an acceptable spot on the, on the target, like center of the, the target. I squeeze a trigger. I'm going to have a, I'm going to get a hit. I'm going to get an E zone hit. And it's like, when you start seeing it, it puts together the, the concept of what you're saying in, in and it gives you a visual reminder of like, this is what it looks like. This is what it takes at these distances. And then, you know, when you start applying that with speed, um, I think it, it, it kind of starts coming together a little bit better, but, or, or a little bit quicker, but I, I find that in incredibly, um, useful drill. That drill is documented in this book, surgical speed shooting by Andy Stanford in his section about aiming page 52. He talks about the very thing that you're referencing from our guardian pistol courses mm-hmm. that uh, I agree. It's a fantastic, it, it allows, so a lot of shooters actually have a hard time um, allowing themselves to not have a perfect sight picture. Did I say that right? Um, that we, a lot, so there's the initial growth phase where you're like you're you're barely learning how to hold the gun and hold it somewhat steady and get things kind of aligned, and that's a struggle enough as it is. But then you get to a place where you're 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 holding you're gripping pretty well and you're able to hold front sight centered and rear sight pretty well, and then you and you enter into this phase. A lot of us do where uh, we we only shoot when we have perfect sight alignment. And that's not a bad thing, except for when it's not needed to still get acceptable hits at relatively close distances. And so if you're only shooting when you see a perfect sight alignment, front sight, rear sight relationship on top of target, then you're shooting way slower than you need to be shooting. And that's the perfect example of that's giving at least that particular target, a five-yard target, even a 10-yard target, you don't have to see perfect. Unless unless you're 10-yard... Keep in mind, con- contextually, I think a lot of times in terms of humanoid-sized and shaped targets, and a USPSA target is a common example for that. Okay? Uh, so, obviously, at 10 yards, I could have like a two-inch circle, and that's going to require perfect side alignment to make sure that I could hit, hit it consistently. But I'm talking like an A zone at 10 yards you still don't have to have perfect front sight centered and rear sight to hit that. Okay. You need to see front sight somewhere in that rear sight. Okay. But it doesn't have to be perfectly still and perfectly centered in the rear sight, the front sight. Okay. And so, um, and that's what we're talking about here. That's an example of giving that, you know, giving a 10 yard target way more respect than it deserves. If your standard is keep everything in a zone at 10 yards. Or keeping everything in a zone, regardless of distance. But you know, again, we're using a ten-yard target as an example. Okay, but if you see that front sight somewhere in the rear sight, even if it's slightly high, slightly low, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, you're probably going to be able to get that ten-yard hit just fine. And so that sight forgiveness drill you referenced, uh, that again, I, I just finished reading a few weeks back or a month or so ago, this surgical speed shooting book. And I, I came across that section. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. we do that. I know that drill. I don't, I don't remember for sure where I first learned of it, but 
here's a 20 year old book that references it. So that's obviously been around for a little while. <laughs> it's a great drill because it forces the student to begin accepting less. You're telling them, Hey, actually intentionally hold your sights out of alignment and now see what you can get away with at what distances. Hugely valuable. That was actually, you go through these growth phases as a shooter and you kind of, you tend to hit these like plateaus. A lot of times there are mini plateaus. It just depends on how hard you're really working, how long you're going to be stuck at certain levels. But when I finally got okay with not always having, like when I began to understand this concept of, hey, at seven yards or 10 yards or even 15 yards, I don't have to see this perfect, perfect, perfect front sight centered in the rear notch, equal high, equal light to get acceptable hits on common human-sized targets. Wow, that like opened up my world in terms of being able to shoot much better uh, in terms of being a lot more balanced in, in speed and accuracy, which is it's always a factor. We're, 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 this is a concealed carry podcast. Speed and accuracy are always a factor. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to take only the amount of time necessary to get the desired hit, whatever that desired hit is. And so, yeah, this is an absolutely critical skill is to be able to accept less and be able to do more by that, accept a less refined sight picture when appropriate so I can do more work. Mm-hmm. So um, now, yeah. oh, go ahead. Can I just, Absolutely. one one little practical tidbit uh, for, for somebody who's just listening to it is this is sort of a, 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 a highlights the importance or the, the added benefit of having a site. Uh, if you're, especially for iron sites that, are easy, you know, um, contrasting, a, a contrasting front sight and something in the rear that isn't, you know, super all, you know, glowing dots of orange and you're trying it. So visual input, taking all this information in, if I have a blackout rear sight and a high contrasting front sight, it's, it's, I'm probably going to be able to perceive that, that, sight picture that front sight somewhere within the rear notch and over top of the target a little bit with less processing of my brain than if I have a three dot sight with all of them being yellow and green and we're all black or white or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, You know, we've talked about this before about sites and how at one time I thought I needed three dots, one on the front, two on the rear, you know, or else it felt very uncomfortable for me. And that part of that was, um, was that that was all I knew. Okay. Up to that point. But, uh, yeah, like my rear sights these days, I just want a notch. I don't want dots. I don't want, I don't need more information. The rear sight is purely an aperture or a window through which I, my eye is viewing or looking and it's just it's looking for when that front sight is either there or it's not. It's all it is. And, and and when it's there, then the eye is just trying to center that front sight in that rear window, in that rear aperture. And uh, that's all you need. And, and so you, you need you need something with the front sight. I mean, there are shooters that are very 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 skilled with a black front sight and a black rear sight. Mm-hmm. Gabe uh, White is well known for running black and black sights. Uh, a few others as well. Um, and Gabe actually talks about the benefit that that has because it f- causes him to focus a little bit harder uh, to actually be able to see and track that front sight. Um, I can see that, but I don't also, I don't see why that's totally necessary. So I like having something that's contrasting that, you know, that lets me know, Hey, front sight here i am and i also shoot now with a more target focused approach with iron sights as well uh which means that i'm able to peripherally is not always the bet the right word to use to describe that but i'm not sure what it is it's in your the sights in my near vision and my far vision is where i'm focused on a target let's say and i'm able to see and be aware of and visually process that here's my front sight even though it's blurry and all I'm doing is looking through that rear sight notch, right? And I'm picking up the contrast that is that front sight 
and recognizing where it is in relation to rear sight while I'm visually focused on a specific spot on a target. And that has worked very well for me lately now, shooting irons, that is. So, yeah, that contrast is is super key. Now, I did want to touch on one other thing. Talking about, this is sort of like the red dot optic equivalent of that sight forgiveness drill. And that is learning to be okay with shooting your red dot pistol and not necessarily always have that red dot in the center of the optic window. And you'd be surprised how many shooters actually struggle with that. Where because they're so used to trying to make things all pretty and centered up, you know, such as in the case of iron sights, that they tend to try to always only shoot when the red dot is in the middle center of their optic window. But one of the huge benefits of running that red dot, that optic, and of it being advertised supposedly as parallax-free, although no optic is truly parallax-free, but they're quite good, is one of the big advantages is being able to shoot whenever we see a dot on the target, regardless if it's on the left edge, right edge, top edge, bottom edge, upper two thirds, right one third, whatever it is. Like if we see dot in the optic window and we see it on the target, by golly, I'm sending a shot. Mm-hmm. Now, quite often because of a well-developed and well-practiced grip and index and all that, my dot is, it tends to be in the center, but not always. Mm-hmm. And I'm not waiting for it to be either. And so that's that's kind of the red dot optic equivalent of that sight forgiveness drills. I actually take students and I say, okay, you're going to shoot the target just like the iron sight guy over here is shooting with their front sight pushed over in the rear notch or whatever. You're going to shoot the target. You're going to put the dot in the center of the window. Then you're going to put the dot in the left edge of the window, right edge of the window, top edge, bottom edge, and just help them get become acquainted with and become comfortable with shooting even when there's not so-called perfect alignment. So, um, yeah, like that is pretty much, I mean, that's a really, really key thing to getting to where you can accept less and still get the job done. So we better circle around back now to the actual shooter ready challenge video that was featured this month, uh, Matthew, mm-hmm. um, w- can you describe real quick for the viewers and listeners kind of what the, the concept of that drill is? Yeah. The concept is that have you running it in your home. Uh, you have three different targets at different sizes, so you can go, um, and print out, um, uh, printable targets, uh, from our site or wherever, whatever target you want to use, but having them at different um, sizes. Typically this is to represent, you know, maybe a, a five, a seven, a 15, or however, you know, the, those proportions work out for you. Um, and then when you're running the drill with the LASR software and the, um, your cert pistol or laser cartridge, um, you're engaging these targets. It gives you the feedback of, Hey, what are my splits between these targets as my, and you can see the transition. So the transition should, should be generally, uh, the same, you know, they're going to fluctuate a little bit possibly, but they shouldn't be wide gaps. And, you know, one transitions, you know, half a second, another one's a second and a half. Um, and then your shot, your, your cadence should be, um, appropriate for that, that size target. So if you're running the same cadence, whether it's super long, you know, like, a uh, uh or split times, let me use a term split time instead of a cadence. Um, if you have like a three second split time at your small target and a three second split time at your large target, that's an indicator that you're spending too much time uh, possibly on those targets. Um, conversely, you know, you might be spending not enough time on the, on the smaller targets. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty much it. I mean, you, the idea is to take, like if I was setting this up in live fire, I'd have a target at seven, like a USPSA target at seven yards one at 15 yards and one at 25 yards. If you want to be real exact and make each target proportionally distant to the others, uh, you could go seven yards, 14 and 21 yards. You know, that's fine. Like whatever. Um, or five, 15, 25 would be kind of the same sort of thing that those will all be like equally progressively distant. But anyway, um, but the point is, is that you've got a close target, an intermediate target, and a far di- target. And related to my red light, yellow light, green light 
sight picture, you know, analogy thing, uh, you, you have a target that should be basically at about your green light distance, yellow light distance and, and red light distance. So again, just talking in terms of me as a red dot shooter on that green light target, I'm going to just see basically a silhouette or frame my optic window over top of the target at the intermediate target distance. I'm going to see that dot and I'm going to recognize that it's a dot and it's going to settle somewhat over the accepted target area and it shouldn't really leave the target area. And assuming that's the case, I'm sending the shot, but I don't necessarily like get that dot to be totally still. It may be kind of floating. It's actually a sight picture term that, uh, um, that uh, Max Michelle uses is a great way of thinking of it as a floating sight picture. So thinking of your sights or your dot floating over that target. So that's kind of that intermediate distance. And then that uh, stoplight sight picture is where it's really got to settle and stop in place on a specific point of the target in order for us to, you know, cause we're at a distance now that that's what's got to happen in order to hit it. So that's what the, this month's shooter rate challenge was all about was we took and you can print directly from our website, the same targets I use, which are free. You go to www.concealedcarry.com forward slash print targets and uh, print out the USPSA target and print one at normal scale, 100% scale, should fit it completely on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And then do one at like 66% scale and one at like, I don't know, 33% scale. Oh, that gets pretty small. I think I ended up doing like 75 and 50%, I think is what I did. And that, that gave me three different targets that were kind of at three different distances, at least how they would appear, set them up on the wall. And then we shoot them, um, a, 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 you know, a bunch of different ways as far as, uh, you know, like go, go big to small, go small to big and go, you know, all the di- these different iterations that you can think of. Because those are all really good things. So if you start an intermediate target, it might sound like this. Dun, dun, and then the close one, and then the far one, dup, dup, right? It's going to challenge you in a variety of ways by switching up the order of shooting those targets. So um, that's basically the drill. And testing yourself to, like, it's really good. It's a good thing if, you, if you're able to, to actually film yourself shooting those and then watch and play that back. Because because it, it, it's not uncommon for people to see that oh I'm treating everything the same I'm just going dot 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 either too fast for for some of the targets or too slow for some of the targets right because you're treating everything the same like if you do if you're treating every target virtually the same some of them are getting the, the respect they deserve some are getting less some are getting more okay but the point of where we want to get to is that we we are relying on what we visually see. And we're allowing the sight picture to dictate when things are aligned or aimed well enough. And that, by nature, is going to change the cadence of our firing. A lot of instructors will teach the, the idea or the concept of cadence fire. And there is a use for cadence fire in training, but I believe it to be a limited use. And I think a lot of people use it incorrectly. Um, that they sort of predetermine, they like train, and this is kind of where I used to be, is that like they, they, they learn that, hey, when that target's about that distance away, then you, I have this pre-programmed pace that I always shoot that, that distance at. Because in my experience, that pace works for that target, at that target distance. And that'll, that'll get you about 80% of the way there. But what's way better and way more accurate is actually just trusting what you see. So instead of learning a predetermined cadence based on experienced target distances, just trust your sights and learn what you need to see to get the hits that you are trying to get. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I corrected my terminology. I didn't want to go down that road of cadence. So. <laughs> well, like I said, it, it does have a, it has a place. Sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, like I, I do see, I see a number of instructors out there. I think that, that really don't quite understand what, 
what we're getting at. Um, without throwing names out there, there was there was a name of another instructor that was mentioned in the in the comments of of uh, the podcast here that 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 approaches it. I think in in the way I'm referencing, that's not quite 100 correct. That is is relying more on the cadence than they are on what they visually see in the site picture. So that's, that's kind of why I thought it was relevant to bring that up and make sure we, we touch on that. Sure. So anyway, uh, we could could probably keep going with this, but we are out of time. And Mm -hmm. so we are, I I hope that you will go and participate in the shooter ready challenges month, go to shooterreadychallenge.com, watch the throttle control video, uh, set that up. And if, and, and if you can, use the LaserX software so you can track your hits and, and times because those are really good metrics to be able to track. And that's the big advantage of laser software it is being able to actually track that that data that normally is pretty tricky to, to track in dry fire practice. If you can't use the software, you don't have like a cert pistol to do the multiple shots with that software... You can still do this. You just have to be a lot more careful and more honest with yourself. And by that, even with a Glock pistol, yeah, you're only going to get one true trigger press. But, hey, still manipulate your finger in the trigger guard as though you're pressing the trigger and go from target to target to target, from close to medium to far or whatever order you're going in and practice and train your eye to be watching what the sights are doing as you're going you know as you're going through that that repetition okay continue just manipulating the trigger okay like i can use i've got a grip module here for a 320 nothing in it it does have a magazine in it but this is just a grip module okay what it looks like guys is i'm just pressing my finger against an imaginary trigger and i'm I'm actually basically slapping the back of the of the trigger guard area okay and that induces the or at least potentially induces movement that's not necessarily a bad thing because as i'm dry firing practicing i'm trying to learn how to basically manipulate the trigger even in a rough manner and learn how to not allow it to disrupt the aiming of the gun so um but that's that's how i do dry fire practice all the time except with it'll be with my 320 and the trigger's just dead a lot of the time like I'll reset it between repetitions, you know, I'll reset the slide and the striker and holster up and then I'll draw and I'll get a click, but then everything else, all of the succeeding shots are just simulated. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Okay. And that's totally okay. It's actually more valuable dry fire practice than you would, than you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of what we, people think a lot of dry fire practice is learning the trigger press. There's some of that, but a lot of it, and this is the under underappreciated part is training your brain on what you need to be seeing. And that can happen in dry fire too. And that's probably the more valuable thing in my opinion in dry fire. So anyway, ho- I hope you'll participate in the shooter rate challenge this month. And regardless of what tools or software you have, still find a way to participate because I promise it'll make you a better shooter. One more shout out to our sponsors. I mentioned, uh, them a little bit just a second ago again, but uh, lasrapp.com is is Laser Apps website and nextleveltraining.com. Finally, before we sign on out of here, we do have our weekly prize giveaway for podcast listeners. Folks, if this is the first time you're hearing of this, just know that once a week we give away some free goodies. All you got to do is sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. That's the link. www.com concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize sign up and you have a free chance once a week to be our lucky winner i should have mentioned too by signing up for the newsletter on the shooter ready challenge.com page you're also entered into a monthly giveaway of some pretty awesome prizes um, from shooter ready challenge Mm -hmm. but don't forget about the weekly giveaways from uh, from us here at the podcast so this week we are giving away a $50 gift card to SSP Eyewear for anything on their site. Um, it's like $50 cash. You can buy more than $50 worth of stuff and get 50, 50 bucks off. Or you want to try to order exactly $50 worth of goods and use up that gift card? By all means, knock yourself out. You can get 
that fifty dollars goes a long ways uh, towards uh, good quality eyewear from SSP Eyewear. Um, all you know, ballistically rated stuff. So good stuff. Who's our lucky winner this week, Matthew? Lucky winner is Karen with the last name that starts with A. Karen A. Congratulations. Yep. Awesome. Congratulations, Karen. We uh, we'll get in touch with you for claiming that $50 gift card SSP eyewear next week. We're giving away one of the ready up gear, rechargeable 16, 340 batteries. Uh, I normally have one sitting around here, but I don't today. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Rechargeable batteries. Uh, these can be used in lieu of CR 123s for a lot of uh, different lights and things, you want to confirm that they are rated at a higher voltage than a, than a CR123A. But uh, uh, a lot of lights uh, work with them. Or for instance, the Re- Ready Up Gear. Um, I just had a brain fart. The um, uh, modular MCF, modular compact flashlight. Yes, the uh, MCF Spark, a Spark flashlight <laughs> from Ready Up Gear. Man, uh, I don't know how I forgot that. Our, our little uh, flashlight we sell at readyupgear.com uh, works awesome with the uh, 16340 rechargeable batteries. Uh, you get you actually get the highest performance. You get you know a full 550 lumens out of that little tiny light with the rechargeable battery. You only get like 400 ish with a standard CR123A. So uh, pretty awesome stuff. Uh, it's a very handy rechargeable battery to have. So. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize to sign up and make sure that you can qualify for the weekly giveaway. So with that, it's time to let you all go. Thanks, Matthew, for another great episode. Thank you, sir. And so with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.